In 1 Samuel chapter 7, we have the ark at Kiriath-Jearim. We have Samuel the prophet and judge. And we have Israel's repentance and ensuing troubles. Hear now the reading of God's holy word, inspired by his spirit and profitable for us. 1 Samuel 7, starting at verse 1. And the men of Kiriath-Jearim came and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill and sanctified Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass while the ark abode in Kiriath-Jearim that the time was long, for it was twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth, and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together to Mizpah, and drew water, and poured it out before the Lord, and fasted on that day, and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a sucking lamb and offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them. And they were smitten before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them until they came unto beth -car. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen, and called the name of it Eben-Ezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they came no more into the coast of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. And the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron even unto Gath, and the coast thereof did Israel deliver out of the hands of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went from year to year in circuit to Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah, and judged Israel in all those places. And his return was to Ramah, for there was his house, and there he judged Israel, and there he built an altar unto the Lord. 
Thus far the reading of God's inerrant, infallible, inspired word, 1 Samuel 7. May the Lord bless us in the reading and hearing of it. A few comments on this most important passage of Scripture. Verses 1 and 2, we have the men of Kiriath-Jerim fetch the ark, Israel lamenting for it. These men feared God. They were pious and respectful. Remember what happened when the ark was somewhere else and they opened up the ark? 50,000 plus had died by their impiety. Did the men of Kiriath-Jerim say, well, we won't have the ark. After all, the ark causes all this trouble and death. No. They feared God. They knew they could safely bring the ark in the fear of God without peering into it, and they would live. And so they did. They sanctified, it says, Eleazar, the son of the man's property, where the ark went, so that he might keep the ark of the Lord. Now, when there was no high priest, remember what happened to Eli. He fell and broke his neck. Remember what happened to his sons. They were slain in battle. There was no one in the house of God to look after this ark, and so they ordain in this time of necessity someone to look after the ark. The ark abode there in Kiriath-Jerim, though, 20 years. The worship of God was not perfectly established in Israel for 27 years total, for the, it had been among the Philistines for seven, now 20 more years in Kiriath-Jerim, until finally David will bring it after he learns his lesson with Perez Uzzah, he will learn and he will bring it to the house of God at last. All the house of Israel lamented after the Lord, verse 2 tells us, the bulk of the people. Now this word lament means to wail as an animal wails in pain. They were in trouble. They were in distress. God's worship was not established among them and this caused them pain in their souls. They mourned for the loss of God and His true worship. How many in our day, when the worship of God is not established according to His word, how many lament after the worship of God? But a few, I would venture to say. Samuel then calls Israel to repent, and Israel does, in fact, repent. Notice there, verse 3. Here's the condition, if. That's a conditional statement. If this, then this. Notice. If you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts. Now the heart in the Bible is the thinking, the willing, and the affections of a man. It's his internal soul. It's the core of his being. In fact, the word in Latin core means your heart. So when we talk about the core of something, we're talking about the heart of man in this instance. Here, notice, don't just do it with your lips. Don't just do it with your bodies, but with your whole heart, he says, repent of your sins. Your priorities, what you love, what you desire, what you will and choose, the thoughts of your heart, the intentions, all these, he says, turn back to God. Leave off your old ways. I note then this doctrine True repentance must be thorough. It must be inward. It must be outward. It must be in your thoughts. It must be in your deeds. It must be in your priorities, your whole heart. God requires this kind of repentance. And so Samuel, as God's minister, preaches this kind of repentance. 
Let us then be a thoroughly repentant people. Yes, Lord, you can have all of my life but this part. You can't have this. This is what we say to God. I want this area of my sin, and that's what Israel did. So Samuel has to remind them, if you're going to repent, if you're going to be forgiven, if you're going to be saved from your enemies, you must completely repent of your sins. Then he says, if this is true, put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you. We must turn from sin unto God. And so he identifies their great sin. Now, Ashtaroth were the female deities. Venus is what the other heathens would call her. She was the goddess of love. And they would worship her. Aphrodites, they would call her in other places. Turn from this particular god, not just strange gods in general, but from your particular snare and sin, he says. This is what God requires of us. Not merely putting off the old man, but then he says, prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only. Did you catch that word? Only. Service is slavery. It's when a person in this context in Hebrew, the word is eved. It means someone who is a servant owned by another. He has a master and a servant will do what his master says. If his master says bow, he will bow. If his master says arise, he will arise. If his master says go, he will go. Serve whom? The Lord only. Put off your false gods. Put on the true God. Now the word in the Septuagint or the Greek translation is duleo, to become a bond slave to God and to do it to him only. God then is the only lawful object of religious service. Bowing, praying, burning incense, any act of worship, whatever people do in worship, God is the only proper object. Now, there are these semi-heathens who believe that you may worship relics of the saints, images of the Virgin Mary, that you may bow before it and burn incense at it. And they say, look, I'm not really worshiping these things. I'm just using the worship of Duleia. You see, if I, if I did the worship of Latreia, that would be really bad. But this worship of Duleia, no, 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 no. I can do that just fine. The word here is Duleo. Do not be a slave to anyone but God. Don't bow your knee. Don't offer prayers. Don't offer sacrifice. None of it. Only God himself is the object of our worship, of our service. Not images, not creatures, not our minds, not our feelings, not things outside of the word of God, the Bible itself where God speaks to us. Do not offer your service to any of these things. Notice, if they do this, if they sincerely repent, then he promises God will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Not because they were worthy. They deserved his judgment. They deserved captivity. They deserved death because of their sin. But... God is good. God is merciful. And though he threatens this danger and judgment, he promises on sincere repentance, I will remove the danger. 
I will remove the threat. I will bring you back to peace. We see then in verse 4 that they sincerely repent. They put off the old man. They put on the new. They do the first works. It mentions Balaam, the male gods, and Ashtaroth, the female gods. They put them all off. Now, he didn't even name. Samuel didn't have to. He just named Ashtaroth, and they said, oh, that means the Balaam too. All that trash has to be out. And then Samuel calls them to gather, gather all Israel to Mizpah, and that he would pray for them unto the Lord. Now, you'll recall Mizpah, the case of Jephthah, where Israel gathered together, Judges 10, 17, and Judges 11, 11. All Israel gathered together to hear the Levite's concubine's case when she was divided in 12 parts, Judges 20, verse 1. This is a place of revival, of repentance, and of national covenanting. And notice, they draw water as they fast. Now, in the ancient world, it was hard work to get water. They drew out this water, and what did they do with it? Did they put it to their mouth and satisfy their thirst? They pour it out on the ground. They waste it before God to show Him the sincerity of their fast and of their repentance. We will not so much as give ourselves the delight of water because of our sins and our repentance before the Lord. So they draw the water and they pour it out and fast on that day. And they say, we have sinned against the Lord. Notice, they didn't say, you know, life's really hard. My parents were idolaters and I learned how to be idolaters from them. And so, Lord, you ought to understand. This is just the cultural moment in which I live. You can't blame me. I was trained this way when I went to school. After all, my whole society encourages idolatry. Everybody around me does it. Why are you blaming us? Is that what they said? No, because confeso or confession means to say the same thing that God says. Does God say you can blame your environment? You can blame your father. You can blame your mother. You can blame the school system, blame the government, blame Facebook, blame TV, blame the news media. No, he doesn't say that. Blame yourself. That's what confession is. I have sinned. I am guilty. We have sinned. We are guilty. That's confession of sin. They confess. They acknowledge. They don't cover their sins. And then notice Samuel judged Israel in Mizpah. He heard their cases. He brought the law of God to bear upon what they were confessing even, instructing them in the truth of God and their duties before the Lord. Now notice verses 7 through 14, troubles follow. Well, if I repent and if I do what God says, certainly God will make me very happy. Certainly he'll remove all difficulties. He'll take all obstacles out of the way. It'll be smooth sailing from there on out, right? Wrong. God brings troubles. He tests their resolution. Do you actually repent of your sins and trusting Baal and Ashtoreth? Well, let me see. Let me chasten you. I'll send the Philistines after you. How will you respond? What will you do in response to this trouble? Will you go back to your old gods, your old ways, or will you wholly and completely trust in me? And look, they trust God. They were afraid of the Philistines, naturally so. Right? Philistines are strong, they're mighty, they're a military force, they've been ruling over them. They fear the Philistines, but notice their response, verse 8. They say to Samuel, cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us. Pray without ceasing. 
with a godly zeal that carries the work forward. Let us have such a zeal. Pray that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines, not we ourselves. Should we employ means to destroy our adversaries in war? Yes, of course. But who gives the victory? God does. Pray that he will save us, that he will have mercy upon us. And let us in like manner, when we have fears and troubles, what do they move us to? Anxiety? Worry? See what I can do to fix my own problems? God says, call upon my name when you're in distress. Samuel takes a sucking lamb. He offers it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. Now remember, how is it that the sins of man are brought away? How does God take away the sin of the world? What is the means that God uses? A lamb, isn't it? The Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. All the types, all the shadows, all the sacrifices, the priesthood, the temple, the tabernacle, the service, the days, the festivals, the seasons, the moons. What do they tell us? Christ hasn't come yet. Christ has not come, and so you must offer it morning and evening, once a year at the Passover, then at the Day of Atonement. All these, why? Because Christ has not appeared. So here Samuel, as an intercessor, representing Christ himself, our great high priest, offers up a sucking lamb, a little tiny lamb, still on the mama's teat. He offers it up, burns it completely as a holocaust unto the Lord. And do you think God hears such prayers through a sacrifice of the Lamb of God? Do you think for a repentant people, God's going to say, I've had enough of you? I'm done with you? Go away? No. The Lord heard him. And if God heard a mere man, Samuel, a type and shadow of our Lord Jesus Christ, do you not think he will hear the Son of God who offered himself a sacrifice to take away sins? Do you think God will not hear his Son when we come to him through Jesus Christ? Will God say, no, go away, you're too sinful, you're too unclean, you've done too much evil? No, of course, he will hear. The Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them. Psalm 18, verse 13, David describes God thundering upon his enemies. We saw Joshua 10, that as the people of the Gibeonites allied themselves with Israel when they were attacked by the Amorites, what happened? God discomfited the Amorites. He brought down confusion. He threw them into a whirlwind. They didn't know what they should do. And here God thunders upon them. The Israelites then pursue the Philistines and strike them. Out of weakness, they were made strong. Think about this. What were the Israelites doing when the Philistines attacked? They were worshiping God and they were fasting and they took water that would nourish their bodies and they poured it on the ground. Do you see the supernatural power of God at work? He caused them to have power to run after the Philistines, overtake and overthrow them. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 34, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. By faith, the Israelites do these valiant deeds. And then notice verse 12. 
They called the name of it Eben Ezer. Now the word Eben is a stone. And the name Ezra means a helper. Ezer is help. So here we have a stone of help. Did the stone do the helping? No, this is ordinary in sacramental language or symbolic language. The stone represented, this is how far God brought us by helping us, destroying our adversaries, thundering from heaven. Now, if you'll recall, we've seen Ebenezer before, haven't we? Do you remember Hophni and Phinehas bring the ark out? They come out, or excuse me, Eli's sons, they bring the ark out at Ebenezer. That's where the people were. And did they win? Did they have victory in chapter 4 of 1 Samuel? No. Defeated, the ark was taken, Ichabod was born, Eli's dead, his sons are dead. And now, this same place, God reminds them, Ebenezer, I have helped you, not because you deserved it. You deserve my judgment, but I have brought a monument to my grace in your lives. So the Philistines come no more within the coast of Israel. The hand of the Lord was against them all the days of Samuel. And God made peace between Israel and the Amorites. Then we have the administration of justice by Samuel in verses 15 through 17. He went in a circuit from year to year, going round about as the men of Sodom circled around Lot's house. So he went round and round every year, judging the cases, preaching the word of God, Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and Samuel judged Israel in all those places. And his return, it tells us, was to Ramah. This is where his father Elkanah was from, chapter 1, verse 19 of this book. This is where the elders, as we'll see this evening, will demand a king. They'll come to Samuel and Ramah, they'll say, your sons are corrupt. Make us a king like the nations. We'll see this in chapter 8, verse 4. David will escape from Saul to Ramah to be with Samuel in chapter 19, verses 18 through 23. And thus far, the exposition of God's word, 1 Samuel chapter 7.